Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Men are on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know. Everything I need you got. There's money in the rock, purpose in the play. There's power in the blood, healing in your head. Started flowing when you said it is done. Jesus, do your wise There's money in the rock.
Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans 8, 16. Laid down, crucified, your arms stretched out and open wide to rescue me so I could be a child of God. From nail pierced hands to thorn pierced brow, your blood flows down to me somehow. It cleanses me so I could be a child of God. of grace. You traded all to take my place. You died for me so I could be a child of God. of you are aware that my uh, mom passed away recently and I just wanted to take a moment and thank all of the people from the local body of Christ here at this church that reached out to us. Um, I want to thank you for the outpouring of love that we saw. Um, many of the ladies in the church brought food and ministered to us and we received cards and it was so great to see um, so many of you were able to make it to my mom's funeral. I just want to thank you for that. And today I want to talk a little bit about the family of God. And um, you're my family, and you're Nancy's family. And I can't tell you how much you mean to us, and um, in so many ways, how hard it was going to be for us to leave. I know we'll still see you, but um, just to not be able to worship with you every Sunday, um, it was a very hard transition for us. And um, I just want to tell you how much I love you. I could take this directory and I could literally go through every name in this directory and say something about every person in this church how they bless me um, but I'm just going to mention a couple people mostly men in the church that ministered to me some of you might remember there was a year where I wasn't working in education full-time and there were people men in this church that reached out to me and helped me um, Dean Taylor was like a father to me um, John Provesheet, um, both of those men helped me to find jobs. Dean was calling me up and giving me uh, tips on jobs, and John gave me tools that year that I wouldn't have really been able to do everything that I did without his help, and Lee uh, gave me work at uh, his house um, that year. Um, Jim and Jan, I did work at their house, and there were so many people that just reached out to us and, and helped us that year, and I'll tell you, those were the best men's ministry meetings that I'd ever been to. 
um, that year when, when those men reached out to me and helped me. And so many others, Jim Gillum, when we were snowed in, came out and, on his time and, and uh, helped us to get dug out. Pastor Doc, I want to thank him and Pastor Brad and Pastor James for giving me the opportunity to preach here and encouraging me and mentoring me. And I just want to say this about Pastor James. We are so fortunate to have him here. And he's, I told him that you, you're my pastor. And I constantly tried to um, reiterate to him the importance that, and the important role that he's, he's played in my um, work as a pastor and how much he's meant to me. And we're fortunate because he, what he's doing here, he's equipping the saints all of you to go out and minister. And that's what a church body should be doing. And, and Pastor James has been doing that. And I'm very grateful for everything that he's done to help me and all the blessings and the ways that he's blessed me and my family. And I'm, I'm uh, completely grateful to him for that. And I want to thank him publicly for that. And again, I want to thank all of you for your prayers. I can't tell you how many people have said to me at different times, I'm praying for you and I'm up holding you and uplifting you in prayer. And I'm grateful to God for you. And I thank God for each of you that do that on a regular basis. Thank God for the body of Christ. And thank God for the family of God. Today, I'm going to be reading from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Then I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3. And then I'll be reading a couple verses from Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. But let's begin our reading today from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's move forward to Ephesians chapter three, beginning with verse one. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says, A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Praise God, the Christian, you and I, that have believed and trusted Jesus Christ unto salvation, we have been placed into a family, specifically God's family. Even if your earthly family, your parents failed you, if you are a child of God and you believe Jesus Christ unto salvation to receive that gift of eternal life, you have become a member of God's family. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and his love for the lost in this world, the Christian can be a part of the Father's eternal family. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. One of the very painful aspects of our experience in this world involves watching our earthly families dissolve and fade away as our loved ones begin to die and pass away. Remember this, child of God. When we experience loss, our heavenly Father, God's Word says, takes us up. Psalm 2710 says, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And remember, even when Jesus' friends left him and he was abandoned and alone, alone Jesus said, as is recorded in John 1632, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And then Jesus went on to say, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. One of the wonderful aspects of being a member of God's family rests in the eternal nature of our permanent heavenly family. Hebrews 5, 8, 9 explains to us this gift of life in the eternal family was made possible by God the Son, Jesus Christ. The verses say, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. When a person receives Jesus' gift of salvation, what do they do? They obey by believing and repenting of their sins. When a person is saved, believing and placing their trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, they obey the gospel and yield every area of their lives to God. Second Thessalonians explains how a Christian has obeyed the gospel. Second Thessalonians 1.8 says, talking about Jesus, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when a Christian believes and receives salvation, the Christian obeys the gospel to become a part of God's eternal family. 1 Peter 1, and 23 also explains how a Christian obeys the gospel to receive salvation. The verse says, since you, talking about the believer, 
have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, the incorruptible seed is the seed of eternality in and through the person of Jesus Christ as a person obeys the gospel or good news. Salvation, friends, will last forever. Now, did you notice that as I shared Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 and 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, that Jesus is identified as God the Son and the believer is named as being a part of the brethren or brotherhood. The family of God is eternal, but a beautiful thing about the family of God is that we don't have to wait to experience that kind of love in eternity. We are blessed to experience it right now in this world. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we become a member of God's family, which manifests itself in the form of the body of Christ and the church. And one of the identifying characteristics of the church is their love, their love for God and their love for each other, which is what I've tried to express to you at the beginning of my sermon this morning. Just as the earthly, just as an earthly parent or an earthly father wants their children to love each other, so too does God the Father want his children to demonstrate love for their brothers and sisters in the church. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus said that he wanted his children to love one another as he loved us. And how did Jesus love us? Well, he loves us sacrificially, and his Holy Spirit enables the Christian to do so. When I travel and I meet strangers that are Christians in different places, I feel the love of Christ, even though they're strangers. Maybe I've never met them before. When I visit a church comprised of people that really love God, I feel their Christ-like love for me as if I were a part of their family, because I am, and they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he reminded them that they were to love like a family. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Friend, as you believe in Jesus Christ, obeying the gospel in faith, what happens? You become a son or a daughter of God. Because of their relationship to the Son, the believer becomes a child of God. Ephesians 5.1 explains how, as Christians become children of God, they need to follow the example of God the Son. The verse says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Remember, Jesus is the only begotten Son. Jesus is God the Son. He is eternal. Jesus is a person of the eternal Godhead, created everything. All of creation is his handiwork. How do we know this? Well, Colossians 1:15 through 18 says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Now, many misunderstand the statement in verse 15 that says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Some erroneously teach that firstborn over all creation means that Jesus is a created being. 
Some religious cults teach that Jesus is a created being like the angels or Satan. Listen, according to God's word, Jesus is not a created being. He is the eternal God, God the Son. How do we know this? Well, verse 16 and 17 that I read reveal Jesus' eternal nature. They say all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, or they're held together. What then does Jesus being called the firstborn over all creation really mean? Jesus being firstborn speaks to Jesus' preeminence over all things that were created by him and through him. The firstborn son in a family was once given what was called the birthright and received the right of authority, and they were given a special place of honor, high rank in their family. The phrase firstborn does not mean first created. It means that Jesus, being the only begotten son, has the first place of authority over and authorship of everything. Remember this, it will be Jesus that both the believer and the unbeliever will stand before as all are judged, the Christian before the judgment or beam of seat, and the unsaved before the great white throne judgment. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 5, and 23, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You can read about the judgment of Christians in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10, and the white throne of judgment of unbelievers in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. But Jesus will exercise sonship as the firstborn and creator of all things as he judges all. Now, the good news is that as God the Father dispatches God the Son to judge every person, every believer that has become a child of God and a member of his eternal family will enjoy fellowship, a kind of wonderful permanent family reunion for all eternity. Romans 8, 14 through 16 explains how a person can receive the gift of eternal salvation. Jesus is God the Son, the only begotten Son. Well, if Jesus is the only Son, then how can any person hope to become a child of God, a son or a daughter of God the Father, if Jesus is the unique only begotten Son or one and only Son? Well, thank God we, the Christian, receive family membership through adoption or by marriage into God's family. Romans 8, 14 through 16 explains this. The verse says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Friend, when you are adopted into the eternal kingdom as you're transformed, you're no longer merely a servant and you're set free from bondage. We talked about that in Sunday school. Adria did a beautiful job with her lesson this morning that dealt with some of these same themes. Galatians 4, 6, and 7 says, and because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father, therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through our good works? No, through Christ. As children of God led by the Holy Spirit, we're no longer to obey our flesh to remain trapped in bondage to sin. I'm so concerned today when I hear some people counseling others that are supposed to be Christians to just stay in your sin, stay in your sin. Friends, that is of the devil. We are to teach people to repent and to confess their sins and to turn from sins. We yield to the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, 12, and 14 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. 
Jesus explained the difference between a slave and a family member as is recorded in John 8, 34 through 36. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Friends, Jesus is the heir. He has always been the heir. He's the heir to the kingdom and family of God. Remember the parable of the wicked vine dressers found in Matthew 21, 23 through 32, Mark 12, 1 through 12, and Luke 20, verses 9 through 19. Remember in that parable that Jesus told of the landowner or, or the planter of a vineyard sending out his servants to the vine dressers that he had leased the property to? Well, instead of respecting and heeding the owner's servants, the wicked vine dressers beat them and killed them. And then in Jesus' parable, the owner sent his son, thinking that the vine dressers would surely listen to him and respect him, but they didn't. In fact, according to Jesus, they plotted and schemed against the son with the intention to murder him. And what did the wicked vine dressers say in Jesus' parable? Mark 12, 7 through 11 reveals how confused they were. It says, but those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, did you notice that in Luke 12, 7, the term inheritance is mentioned? Friends, do you know that as adopted children in the family of God, you will receive an incredible inheritance, an inheritance that only comes to the believer in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. The inheritance that God will give you will not be temporary. It won't waste away. You won't lose it. Hebrews 9.15 says, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1.3-5 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, our inheritance that we will receive from God in eternity is salvation and eternal life. Now in the parable of the wicked vine dresser, we know that the owner of the vineyard in the, in the story represents God the Father, and that the owner's son represents Jesus, God the Son. And the wicked vine dressers, the Jewish leaders and the scribes and the chief priests that rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ. You see, they foolishly thought that they could steal and take by force the inheritance. In their carnality, they foolishly thought that they could take the, the inheritance because they didn't understand that the inheritance was eternal, not temporal. They didn't understand that the inheritance was a gift only given, ironically, by the one that they sought to kill. Remember, Jesus is the heir, but because he gave up his life and willingly bled and died on the cross for us. Praise God, many Jewish people and many of God's chosen people did believe and place their trust in Jesus Christ to receive salvation. Also, because of Jesus' love and his sacrifice and his willingness to suffer for us, Gentiles, non-Jews, were also called to salvation. And here's the beautiful thing. Now all people of every ethnic background, every tribe and every nation are enabled to become a child of God and to become a part of the family of God. And as they're adopted, 
they receive all the authority and honor that the heir, the only begotten son, has. Remember, in the story of the prodigal son, in Jesus' parable, that prodigal son was given gifts by the father. This occurred when he turned back from his profligate sin and his iniquitous living in the far country and returned to his father. The adopted child of God will receive the same inheritance of eternal life that the son, the heir, possesses. These adopted heirs, you and I, will receive the gifts that the prodigal son received. The prodigal son in the Jesus parable represents you and me. The returning prodigal received, in addition to a celebration, it says the best robe, a ring, and sandals. Now, what do these gifts, the best robe, the ring, and the sandals represent for each of us? First, they most importantly represent admission into God's eternal family. The prodigal's father could have rejected his son. He could have sent him away, or he could have just required that he served him as a lowly slave. But what did the offended, disrespected father do? Well, we know in love he ran to meet his son. He hugged him and kissed him. Then he showed everyone that his son, even though he didn't deserve it, would receive full family membership, full sonship. The father gave the prodigal a robe, the best robe. Friends, when you and I join the family of God and believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation as adopted children, we receive a robe. We receive Jesus' robe of righteousness. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 explains, the verses say, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ's robe of righteousness is the best robe. When we put on Jesus, this is the wonderful thing. God the Father doesn't see our filthiness and our imperfections any longer. And we know that in Isaiah 64, 6, that even our best works apart from Jesus Christ are as filthy rags. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through our own good works? No. In him. Remember, in Jesus' parable of the wedding feast, found in Matthew 22, 1 through 14, the king, in Jesus' parable, sends out invitations to everyone, but when the would-be guests show up, they do so without and not wearing the proper wedding garment. Now, because the king instructed his servants to go out and even to invite those by the highways and byways to attend, the king would have most likely provided the proper clothing for those attending. So the king rejects those who show up without the required wedding garment. Jesus said, as is recorded in Matthew 22, 11 through 14, but when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into the outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Friends, what was Jesus trying to tell us with this parable? The most vitally important thing that he's trying to communicate to us is the need for anyone, any person seeking to be saved to wear the wedding garment. That is Jesus Christ and his robe of righteousness. Without Jesus saving grace, no one can be saved. The second gift the father gave to the restored son was a ring. The ring was a symbol of authority the time the Gospels were written. In Rome, people would seal legal documents and letters with melded wax and a signet ring that had a special symbol on it that was unique to their family. If you had that signet ring, it was as if you'd been given power of attorney to carry on business for your father. The ring was a sign of the great authority your father had entrusted to you. Remember, Jesus gave authority to his disciples. 
Luke 9, 1 and 2 says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Titus 2, 13 through 15 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. The third gift the father gave to the prodigal son were sandals. It's been said that slaves didn't usually wear shoes. Shoes would have been needed, though, to conduct business coming and going. Commentator John MacArthur points out that the sandals show how the prodigal son had been restored to full sonship. He was once again a fully restored member of his father's family. The Christian and child of God is to be equipped with shoes as they go forth to share and present the gospel. As part of the whole armor of God described in Ephesians 6.15, the Christian is charged to have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The confidence that comes from knowing that we are children of God and that we are standing upon God's truth allows the Christian to stand strong with authority in Jesus Christ. So how can we stand strong? How can we stand firm through our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he can do? We stand firm in Jesus, first of all, his work on the cross and everything that God the Son can do and has done for us. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's something else to think about. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15 tells us that as we become a part of God's family, his eternal family, we are named with Jesus. Although the term Christian was probably originally intended as a put-down or a pejorative term of derision, we know that to be called a Christian is analogous to being called Christ-like. We who, who are saved should never be ashamed to be called by Christ's name or to be called a Christian. The term Christian is used in God's Word. According to Acts 11.26, when Barnabas and Paul ministered in Antioch, the disciples were referred to as Christians. Don't forget that when Paul witnessed to King Agrippa, Agrippa's use of the term Christian is recorded in Acts 26.28. The verse says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. 1 Peter 4.16 says, If anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, growing up, if you think back in time, I think we could say that most of our parents, even if they struggled greatly with sin, they didn't want their family name to be brought to shame. And most parents don't want their children to be ashamed of their family. Most parents, dads and moms, want their children to uphold their family name and to not bring dishonor or disgrace to the reputation of their public name of their family. Listen, as Christians, being a part of the family of God, we are not to be ashamed to be called by Jesus' name or because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Jesus said, 
as is recorded in Mark 8:38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 describes God the Father's love for the fatherless. The verses say, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. The beautiful thing about being a Christian and a member of the Heavenly Father's family, think about this, is that you are adopted. You are chosen. Think about it this way. A biological child born into a family is accepted by virtue of their genetic relationship to their father and mother in the birth process. But listen, an adopted child's relationship is unique in that they gain entrance into their family because someone chose them, selected them, and chose to love them and to confirm them and make the adopted person a son or daughter in their family. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are adopted when we believe and receive Jesus' gift of salvation. When a person is adopted into a family, they adopt a child or a minor because it's assumed by most people that an adult or a grown person will be able to take care of themselves. Likewise, a person seeking adoption into the family of God must exercise a childlike faith and in respect to faith, be childlike. When Jesus instructed his disciples to allow the children to come to him so that he could interact with him, he reminded the disciples and us that we have to exercise a childlike faith when we come to Christ. Mark 10, 15 says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And remember, the Christian, upon believing in Jesus Christ, is spiritually born again. The Christian doesn't physically become a small child or a baby again, but spiritually speaking, they're a babe in Christ and a new person and a new creation. Remember, Jesus told Nicodemus, a grown man, that every person, in order to become a part of God's kingdom, had to be born again. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 3, 3, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, some believe that all people, including those that have never believed in Jesus or received adoption into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, are God's children. Some people assert that we are all God's children. They speak of a universal brotherhood of man. Listen, it is true. We are all God's creation. It is true that we all share a common humanity being made in God's image, saved or unsaved. But listen, this is important. A person only becomes a child of God when they place their trust in and believe in Jesus Christ. Some people in a figurative manner say that God is the father of all or that God is the father of mankind. But friend, remember this. God, the eternal father, only becomes an individual's heavenly father when they believe and place their trust in God the Son, Jesus Christ. You can only call God your father when you know the Son, Jesus Christ. To become a redeemed, blood-bought child of God, a person must know God the Son, and Jesus must know them. Jesus said, as is recorded in John 10, 14, and 15, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, Jesus said. When a person knows Jesus as their Savior, they are adopted into the family of God. They are one of his children. 
And the believer will receive the inheritance as a joint heir with the heir, Jesus Christ. This familial relationship cannot be purchased or earned by works because Jesus Christ already paid for it as he purchased our salvation. This family relationship through Jesus Christ will supersede any other relationships that we will ever know in this world in both duration and significance. How important is our relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen, today some people that purport to be Christians pray to and through Jesus' earthly mother, Mary, who most certainly bore our Savior as a virgin through the miraculous virgin birth. But friends, are we to pray through or to anyone other than Jesus Christ? No. Jesus God the Son is our all-sufficient mediator. We are to pray only to God the Father in Jesus' name. We are only to pray in the name of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. We are not to pray to Mary or to Peter or through Paul, to anyone other than God the Father through the one mediator, Jesus Christ, God the Son. John, in John 16, 23, it's recorded that Jesus said to his disciples, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, when Jesus said, in that day, you will ask me nothing, what did that mean? Jesus was talking about the last days that we're living in right now. Remember, after Jesus died, he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And we and his disciples, when that happened, would no longer be able to make requests of him in person. The Apostle Paul demonstrated us how we are to communicate to God in prayer, as is recorded in Romans 1.8. He wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Ephesians 5.20 says, Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Acts 4, 11 and 12 says, This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Do you remember in the scriptures when Jesus' mother and family sought to visit with him? You can read an account of this incident in Mark 3, 31 through 35, and in Matthew 12, 46 through 48. Matthew 12, 46 says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak to him. Then one said to him, Look, your, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Think about it. In order for Mary, Jesus' mother, and his earthly siblings to receive adoption into the eternal family, they had to believe and place their trust in Jesus, just as you and I did. When we talk about people being biological family members, we often say that they're a blood relative. The adopted Christian does not possess a typical blood relationship with Jesus. We aren't one of his biological brothers or sisters. John 1, 12 through 14 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The child of God only enters God's family through the perfect blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. As we're adopted in Christ, we become a different kind of blood relative as inheritors 
of eternal life. Our blood relationship is made available to us through Jesus, holy, precious, sacrificial shed blood. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there is no remission or payment for our sins. When Jesus talked about his new covenant and the forgiveness of sins, he talked about the essential importance of his shed blood. In Matthew 26, 28, Jesus is recorded as saying, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And what is remission? Remission is payment, it's pardon, it's release from debt. Hebrews 9, 14 and 15 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from, the, from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. The Christian is a part of the family of God as they become a child of God. The grass withers the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to make it possible for us to be reconciled to you as we believe and place our trust in you. And Lord, we thank you that you were able through your shed blood to make it possible for us to be delivered from our sins. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray today that you would go with each believer and help them to be overcomers in your kingdom, Lord, to be obedient to you. And I pray the same for myself, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never believed and trusted Jesus Christ unto salvation or that is listening today, Lord, I pray that as you will it, you would call them to you, that they would be saved and they would place their trust in you for all eternity to become a part of your eternal family. Go with us for the remainder of the day and help us to glorify you in all that we say and do. We ask this in Jesus' name, believing in faith, that your will be done. Amen. Nancy, could we get you up here? Um, if you guys are, you want to get the food ready, those of you who are working on that, and then um, we also, while you guys are doing that, we want to pray for you guys in this next phase in your journey, um, if you would. Uh, Father, we thank you for Doug and Nancy, Lord. We thank you for all that they've been to us, good friends, colleagues, Lord, servants. Father, I pray that you would be with them in this next phase. Lord, we know that this time that's coming will be hard. Lord, but we know that uh, you will be with them, that you will go with them, that you will surround them with people that will be there as well in their journey. Lord, I pray that you would watch over their marriage I pray that uh, this in no way would become a stumbling block, Lord. I pray that um, you would unite them in the direction that you've called them to. Lord, uh, I pray that uh, um, you would just bless the ministry, bless the days ahead, Lord. I pray that you would uh, bring people to them, Lord, and I pray that you would help them equip those people and send them out to this community that they're a part of. Lord, be with them. Give them wisdom. Lord, I pray that uh, uh, you would give them unity and that they would all be on the same page there. Father, under your lordship, under your direction, Lord. Father, be with them. Give them strength. Father, we pray for Nancy's hand that you would heal that, Lord, and that uh, you would provide that, Father. Uh, we pray that you'd take away the pain from that, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd be with this family with the death of Maxine, that you would comfort them as only you can, Lord. Father, I pray that you would remind them that um, uh, they have a family here as well to always lean on. Father, whatever they need. Lord, we, we thank you again for their ministry. We thank you for their example. We thank you for all that they've done, all the people that they've impacted, Lord. I can look at people like Arda and her family, Lord, and... Uh, Give you praise, Lord. Thank you for the Lolos. Go with them. We just ask this in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.